If you remember back to Advent week one, we heard about the goodness of creation, that the fact that creation is doesn't explain itself. And last week we heard that we have been captured, that we have unwittingly sold ourselves into slavery to powers that we have no way of getting ourselves free from underneath. And those powers are sin and the consequence of sin, which is death and hell. That was horrifying news, but I'm glad to see that you came back for week three, because today we get to announce some incredible news. And this amazing news, St. Paul in the New Testament uses the word dynamos to explain. And this is the same Greek word from which we get the word dynamite. So dynamos, this kind of news that we're going to hear this morning, brothers and sisters, this is explosive news. This is life-changing, world-altering news. The way that we might think of this news, the image that I give you is, imagine that you're living in Nazi-occupied France on June 7th, 1944. If you know your world history, you would know there was a big invasion that happened on June 6th, 1944, to begin the liberation of Europe. So imagine you find yourself living in Nazi-occupied France on June the 7th, 1944. You've lived several years under the, uh, the reign of this tyrannical regime that has brought evil, suffering, death, and destruction to your people and to your culture. If you were living in Nazi-occupied France on June 7th, 1944, and you got the newspaper delivered that morning, and you looked at the headline, and you saw, Allies land at Normandy, liberation has begun, you probably wouldn't read that and then just say to yourself, I wonder what the weather's going to be tomorrow. Did we win in the World Cup yesterday? No, right? Of course not. That would have been life-changing. That would have been explosive news. That would have changed everything about who you are and how you lived. What we are going to hear today, brothers and sisters, is even more so explosive news. And if we truly grasp this news, St. John Paul II told us if we really got it, we would be overwhelmed by what we hear today. We would be overwhelmed by the reality of the truth that each of us is perfectly loved, that each of our lives matters, and that we would make the decision to entrust the whole of our life, the whole of our life, not just pieces, the whole of our life, to Jesus of Nazareth in confident faith. The appropriate response to this amazing news that we are about to hear, if we really get it, is tears. Tears of one who has been set free. Tears of one who has been healed. Tears of one who has become keenly aware of the truth that they are loved. And so, you know, brothers and sisters, a lot of times we see pictures or movies of soldiers going to war. You know, they're, they're dressed to the, to, the, to the hilt. They're carrying their weapons. They got their, their battle helmet on. And the image that I'd like to give you, if you've ever seen the movie Saving Private Ryan, is the, the opening scene of Saving Private Ryan. These young American soldiers are huddled in their landing craft and they're on their way into Omaha Beach. If we were going to watch this opening scene of Saving Private Ryan, none of us would watch it and think, gee, gosh, why are they there? I wonder what they've come to do. Man, maybe they're off in search of buried treasure. No, none of us would think that. We wouldn't see our American soldiers huddled in their landing craft going into Omaha Beach and think, wow, these guys are really excited to go study abroad for the semester in France. No, it would be obvious to us that these men are going to fight, that these men are going to war. They are going to liberate a people who have been crying out under the tyrannical oppression of evil for years. These young boys have come to free a people who have been overrun by an empire of darkness, death, and destruction. 
These brave young boys have come to fight. Okay, brothers and sisters, here's the problem. We're getting ready for Christmas, and all of us probably have those manger scenes that we're, you know, setting up in our houses, and we've got Mary and Joseph and the lambs and shepherds, and we've got cute little baby Jesus sitting there reigning in his manger. And a lot of times we look at cute little baby Jesus in his manger, and we see that he's cute, and he's nice, and he's innocent, and he's just so adorable laying there in the manger. And when we look at Jesus, he is those things. But when we look at Jesus like that, we can tend to miss the truth of who he is and what he has come to do. Because Jesus is not just cute and cuddly. Jesus is a warrior king who has come to fight. He has come to free. He has come to rescue his people. Jesus is there for the same reason those soldiers are there storming Omaha Beach. He has come to fight. And so what we are preparing to celebrate on December the 25th is the greatest rescue mission in the history of the world. You know, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says this. He says, How can anyone enter a strong man's house and steal his property unless he first binds the strong man? Then he may plunder his house. What's Jesus telling us? How can anyone enter a strong man's house? Who's the strong man? Well, the strong man Jesus is talking about is the devil. How can anyone enter a strong man's house and steal his property? So if the strong man is the devil, what is his house? Well, his house is this world in which he reigns. And if his house is this world, then what's his property that he is controlling, that he is enslaving, that he is the manager of? Well, his property would be you and I. When we have unwittingly sold ourselves into slavery to the power of sin, the power of death, and the power of hell, the tyrannical regime of evil that is present in our world today. And so Jesus tells us, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and steal his property unless he first binds the strong man? And so if the strong man is the devil and his house is this world and his property is you and I, what has Jesus come to do? Bind him. Brothers and sisters, how did Jesus bind the strong man? How did Jesus destroy his reign? This is incredible news. We heard last week that Satan is a lying liar who lies. And so Jesus beats the enemy of souls at his own game. Jesus binds the strong man and destroys his power by deceiving the deceiver. You know, God is amazing. And oftentimes we can forget that the most important attribute of God is not that he's nice. It's not that he's merciful. It's not that he's gentle. He is certainly those things. He is kind. He is merciful. He is gentle. But a lot of times when we look at God, we forget that by his nature, God is utterly inconquerable. Think about that. There is nothing that can defeat God in anything. If something can defeat God, then that thing is God, and God isn't all-powerful. And so the most important attribute of God, brothers and sisters, is that he is utterly inconquerable. And so we see the utterly inconquerable God taking on flesh and entering into the human story. Why would he choose to do that? Because God in his brilliance knows that he cannot be defeated. He is inconquerable. And so that means he can't die. And so on March the 25th, the church celebrates that God chose to take on flesh, flesh that is capable of suffering, flesh that is capable of dying. And God enters into the human story when he is born on December the 25th. And he spends 33 years of public ministry raising up a small army. 
but doing so in hiddenness, beyond the glitz and the glamour, the prestige, the being seen by the spirit of the world. And then we find God, Jesus of Nazareth, during Holy Week, disguising himself, camouflaging himself, drawing out the enemy. And remember, the enemy is not some political party or other human person. The enemy is sin and death and hell. The enemy is Satan. And so we find Jesus during Holy Week as he is arrested, as he is beaten, as he is spat upon, as he is ridiculed, as he's dragged through the streets of Jerusalem and crowned with thorns and ultimately nailed to a tree. We see God luring the enemy, death itself, into a trap that he is about to spring forth on the cross. Because a lot of times, you know, we tend to look at Jesus hanging on his cross and we tend to look at Jesus and say, wow, what a victim. And that's true. Jesus is a victim. But when we look, Jesus, look at Jesus hanging on his cross, if we only see a victim, then we've missed Jesus for who he is. Brothers and sisters, this is the utterly inconquerable God of the universe hanging on a tree. What's keeping him there? How would you find a nail that can hold God, an utterly inconquerable being, to a tree? How would you make that nail? You don't. And so the question that we want to ask when we see Jesus hanging upon the cross is, why is he there? The only reason that he is there is by his own choice. Why does he want to be there? Because Jesus is not just the victim, he is the victor. When we look at Jesus hanging on his cross, we do not see an innocent young man whose life just got cut down in its prime. We actually see not one being hunted, we see the one who is doing the hunting. And so as he is there on the cross and death is drawing near, I imagine Satan looked at Jesus and kind of thought something along these lines. You know, he probably looked at him as three o'clock on Good Friday is rapidly approaching. And he probably said to himself, you know, Jesus, you were amazing. You lived an incredible life. You've done some miraculous deeds, but I too can do miraculous deeds. I've seen miracles before. And you know, you made it through this life, Jesus, without sinning. But that woman there standing at the foot of your cross, she also hasn't sinned. You were a remarkable young man. But you know what? He probably looked at his watch. In just a couple of minutes, you're going to be mine. Because no one escapes death. And brothers and sisters, that is exactly where our God wanted the devil to be. And so St. Augustine tells us that Jesus, if you will, on his cross is a mousetrap who is luring his prey And when Jesus enters into death, he pounces on death itself, destroying it three days later. What we celebrate in the Christian life, brothers and sisters, is that each of us is a a friend of a God who has come to meet us in our personal Egypt, our personal place of slavery, our personal place where death and evil reign in our lives, in our hearts, and in our world. And he is a God who has come to set his people free. Every morning when the church prays morning prayer, she prays these words, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. He has come to his people and he has set them free. Brothers and sisters, you and I have been rescued by a good God who has chosen to fight for each and every one of us. You know, this weekend the church celebrates Gaudete Sunday. And if you're a Latin scholar, you would know that Gaudete is not the church expressing a wish. Gaudete means rejoice. And the church isn't saying, hey, it'd be really nice if you thought about rejoicing with us this weekend. No, the church is actually commanding us. Gaudete is an imperative. Rejoice. And so the church is actually reminding us that we, have, we always have great cause of rejoicing. 
in the midst of our own sin, in the midst of our own brokenness, to be a Christian is to rejoice that there is now a way out of sin. When we stare death straight in the eyes, to be a Christian is to wink at death in the confidence of knowing the one who has conquered even it. And so, brothers and sisters, we have great cause always in the Christian life to rejoice, not because of our own accomplishments, but because of the one who has come to free and to heal and to claim his people and lead them home. And so, brothers and sisters, really important point, in order for me to be rescued, I have to let myself be found, and I have to acknowledge that I am in danger. Often in our lives in 2022, it can be really easy for us to ignore the threat of sin and the reality of the consequence of sin, which is death. It can be really easy for us to be blind to the fact or to refuse to acknowledge the fact that I need to be rescued. Brothers and sisters, what we celebrate on this Sunday and every Sunday is that we are the friends of a God, the warrior king of heaven, who has destroyed the great enemies of his people and who invites all of his friends to receive his victory. How do I receive the victory of Jesus? How is it that I receive his freedom, his healing, his conquering of sin, of death, and of hell? Well, if you think about it, brothers and sisters, every time you receive a sacrament, every time you and I are touched by a sacrament of the Catholic Church, what I am being touched by is the power of Easter. Every time we go to confession and you hear the words of absolution prayed over you, the priest doesn't pray, Jesus really loves you, now go in peace. No, the, ch- the, the church, the priest prays, God, the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection of his Son. What Jesus has done for you and I is an incredible victory that he wants to give each of us. And so, brothers and sisters, this next week, every night this next week, there's going to be a parish in Johnson County where God's children are invited to meet him, to be freed and healed by him in the amazing sacrament of reconciliation. If it's been two weeks, two months, 20 years, or 200 years, God the Father wants you to know his freedom and his healing that he has won for you in the person of his son. Every time I receive a sacrament, I am touched by Jesus's victory. And so when we prepare to receive Holy Communion this day, let's acknowledge that what we are receiving is the victory of our God over sin, over death, and over hell. Brothers and sisters, the Lamb of God, the warrior king of heaven, the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered, and he desires to give you the gift of his victory. It is time that we let this lion out of his cage and into our lives.